please open your Bibles and turn to today's scripture reading, which will be Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. There's a famous line from St. Augustine's Confessions in which Augustine states this. He says, You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This is true. There is no solace. There is no security. There is no safety outside of faith in Jesus Christ. There is no safe refuge from the wrath of God outside of a new relationship with God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. But in Christ, there is a safe refuge. In Christ, there is redemption. In Christ, there is complete and total forgiveness of your sin. There's true security in Christ. There's true peace in Christ. There's a clear conscience in Christ. He is Christ, the Redeemer. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Seeking Rest in the Redeemer. Look with me at Ruth chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to go all the way through to the end of the chapter. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Then she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled. And turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true 
that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. So what we see in this text this morning is a young woman seeking rest in a Redeemer. The first thing that we see in the first five verses is the plan for rest, which was being sought by Naomi for Ruth. Look again at verse 1. It says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? That phrase, seek rest, that should sound familiar, right? This is the second time that that phrase is used in the book of Ruth. The first time, it was used in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. What does it mean when Naomi says, should I not seek rest for you? Well, let's think about that term in context here. Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws have left uh, Moab. They've begun the journey from Moab back to Bethlehem because the Lord had shown kindness to the people in his land and ended the famine. And while they're on their way, as they're getting started, Naomi has a change of heart and she decides to send back her daughters-in-law. And so she says to them in chapter 1, verse 8, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. So contextually, what does it mean? It means that Naomi is seeking rest in the sense of not a a good nap. Although I'm sure Ruth could have used that. She could have afforded a nap. She's been laboring hard in the fields during the harvest from early morning to evening. Not just for herself, but for her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's not a good night's sleep that she's seeking. It is the security in the form of the covering of a loving husband who would protect her, provide for her, and care for her. Naomi first sought rest for Ruth in a compromising way. She she was going to send Ruth back to Moab to find a husband who would have been a pagan, a worshiper of not Yahweh, but of some false deity or deities. But God has taught her a few things from that point to now. God has opened up Naomi's eyes to see that he is working and orchestrating a great redemption. And it's going to be through Boaz. So she is seeking rest specifically for Ruth in Boaz. Look at verse 2. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So 
initially, when Ruth and Boaz met, and we saw their interaction in chapter 2, it appeared that he had showed some interest in Ruth. He showed her favor in that field. He was generous and hospitable and kind. But he hadn't made a move. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, he did not pursue her towards marriage, this young widow from Moab. The harvest has ended. Ruth is not going back to that field in the next days and weeks to glean. And so Naomi is suggesting that Ruth proactively seek marriage from Boaz. And she's got good reasons. He's a relative of hers, so she knows him, she knows the guy. Not only does she know him, but he is able, as a redeemer, according to Leviticus 25, to buy back the land that Naomi had lost when they left Bethlehem to sojourn in Moab. That's a, that's a positive, right? That'll go in the pro column. He'd be a suitable groom. It's also described, uh, Boaz is described as a worthy man in chapter 2, verse 1. He's a strong man. He's a, strong, he's, a, he's a man of valor and character. He's demonstrated godly character over time. He's not just a professing believer. He's a possessing believer. He is a legitimate follower of Yahweh. That character has been seen through the kindness in the field to not just Ruth, but extended through Ruth to Naomi as well. So I'd say that's a pretty good match. That's a good option. Y'all agree? And Naomi sees not just a person for Ruth to find refuge in. She sees an opportunity. It says that Naomi says, Boaz is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. I mean, she's being proactive and she's saying, hey, let's not even sleep on it. Let's not think about it. Let tonight pursue this man as a husband winnowing barley, I mean, threshing floor. These are things, again, that I'm not familiar with, right? I don't, I don't come from a farming background, and maybe you aren't familiar with these terms either. So let me, let me break it down for you, because this is the process. This is the, the stages in the harvesting process. It starts with reaping. That means, first of all, you've got to have something to reap. You've got to have a, a harvest. You've got to have f- some fruit in the fields, so to speak. And reaping is cutting down the harvest or the crops. Starts with reaping. And then you take the bundles of crops, and you, you bundle them together, and those are called sheaves, and we talked about that last week. They're bundles of stalks of grain. And then you take the bundles and you throw them onto this thing called the threshing floor, which is typically a hard ground. It's a rock surface. And and then you have cattle that you drive over top of these bundles of grain. And that breaks up things. It it begins to sift and break up the the chaff from the, the grain. It's breaking up so that there's a difference between the chaff, which is the essentially hay. It's dry straw. It's not for consuming. It's, it's, for, it's a waste from the true wheat. And so after these things have been threshed, you remove the cattle, and then there is a winnowing that takes place. And maybe you've seen uh, portraits of farmers with their pitchfork. And someone would take a pitchfork and they would scoop up the, the, what's on the ground, chaff and wheat, all blended, and they'd scoop it up and they'd lift it into the air, and then the wind that God provides would do the rest. The wind would come through, the chaff would float away, and the grain would fall down to the ground. It's now easy to collect the grain, to put the wheat in the barn, and the chaff can float on. Psalm chapter 1, verse 4 says that the wicked are like chaff, that the wind 
drives away. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, John the Baptist says that Jesus has a winnowing fork in his hand. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and he will gather the wheat into his barn and the chaff won't just blow away. It says that the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This will take place when Christ comes again. He will separate the the sheep from the goats and the wheat from the chaff. And any person who claims to be a universalist or believe in universalism, that all people go to heaven, they just need to read Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. It says it's very clear. The chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. But those who are the wheat, those who have confessed in all humility and repented of their sin and said, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need a Redeemer. And they put their trust, they put their confidence in Jesus Christ alone will be brought into His barn. They will be saved on that day. They are in no fear of that day. Because on that day, they will not experience the wrath of God. They will experience unending mercy and love of God. He will bring them even nearer to himself on that day. And we will be with him forever in glory. Naomi suggests that Ruth take the opportunity that night as they're winnowing to ask Boaz to marry her. That's the plan. And here's how it plays out. Look at verse 3 and 4. She says, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. What is going on here? I am confident that there are passages in the Bible that make us go, what's going on here? So that we would look closer to see what is going on here. I'm absolutely confident that this is one of those texts. And here's another thing I'm absolutely confident. In all the days that I've been following Jesus Christ, I have realized that he wrote the book, he wrote the Bible, so that men even like me, who struggle with ADHD and comprehension, that he has written it so clear that if we just lean in and through the lens of the Holy Spirit, the clarity's there. I want you to see how clear it is. Is this a marriage proposal? Or is this a proposition? Let's look at it. Because there are some scholars, a small group of scholars, but there are some who interpret this as a proposition. That they consider what Ruth is doing in her preparation and in the location and her pursuit of Boaz to be that of a lady of the night, so to speak. Is that what's happening here? No. Just no, absolutely not. Boaz has shown Ruth and Naomi nothing but steadfast love and kindness. Would Naomi respond as a woman of Yahweh to the grace that has been shown them by trying to put Boaz in a compromising situation? No, I don't believe that she would. But it is possible. But Boaz is proven to be a follower of Yahweh. He is a man of God. Would he accept something like this? No, I don't think he would. But I guess it is possible. Ruth is a faithful woman. She has followed not just Naomi to Bethlehem, but she has come to Bethlehem to worship the one true God. She believes that Yahweh is God and there is no other. 
Would she participate in something so devious and sinister? I don't think so, but I guess it is possible. But when we look at chapter 3, verse 10, and we're going to get to it, but when we look at that, when we look at Boaz's response to Ruth, we understand with no doubt that what Ruth was seeking was not inappropriate. It was a proposal for marriage, and it was more than that. It was a redemption that didn't just put her in a safe refuge, being the wife of this man, but it actually provided a refuge for Naomi as well in buying back the land that she had lost. This is a proposal. Now, whether it's appropriate for Ruth to pursue a proposal and to get down on one knee and to to seek engagement to, to Boaz, you can talk about that in small group this week. I don't know. But I'm glad it happened and Christ came in the line of Boaz and Ruth. So praise God. She encouraged her daughter-in-law, Ruth, Naomi. Naomi encouraged her. She said, take a bath. Go and wash. She said, anoint yourself with perfumed oils. She said, put on your best clothes. Put on the cloak. Essentially, make yourself as attractive as possible, but this was not for a proposition. Ladies, do, do, do women today not go get their nails done and their hair done? And are they not offered counsel from other friends of, yeah, you should probably wear that, don't wear that. Put your hair up like this, don't wear it like that. On the day that they're being engaged, they're getting engaged. Have we not heard about this all the time, right? Wow, my friends are being so nice to me today. This, is, this seems like a normal Saturday. Come on. Don't kid yourself. You know what's happening. You know what's coming. You can pretend that you don't. But in the same way, on, on our marriage days, on, on our wedding day, do you not prepare a beautiful bride to be presented to your groom? Absolutely. This is a proposal. She's seeking marriage. But there's more than just that here. What she's doing is symbolic. It's ending a time of mourning. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20 shows David, King David, walking through similar steps that Ruth is going to take here when his son died. He washed himself. He anointed himself with oil. He put on a change of clothes. His mourning had ended the day his son died. After he had pleaded with the Lord, please don't take him. There's a theologian by the name of Bush who suggests that Naomi was encouraging Ruth to lay aside her widow's garments and bring an end to the outward signs of mourning for her dead husband, Malon, who was a Moabite. And if that's the case, and I believe it is, then whatever Ruth had been wearing up until this point may have been symbolic even for Boaz that she's still grieving the loss of her husband. But Boaz would see this young woman in a different light, even at night. She's in a cloak, she's washed, she's perfumed, and she is explicitly seeking marriage. She's moving forward. There's an element of surprise that's crucial here. Look back with me at verse 3. Naomi says to Ruth, But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So again, I ask the question, was Ruth lurking in the shadows? Waiting to pounce on a Boaz who's drunk on the threshing floor. No, that's not what's happening here. Look at the text. Friends, this book is about redemption. This is not 
Like the scene of Lot and his daughters after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not a night of drunkenness and debauchery and sexual immorality. This is the very redemption of that night when that eldest daughter, who was the beginning of the Moabites, sinned. And Moab was born unto her. No, this is a different situation entirely. It doesn't say anything about Boaz being drunk. Nothing. So you must read that into the text to, in, to arrive at that interpretation. Second, Ruth was not wanting to, likely, to approach Boaz in a public way because this would put him in an awkward position. I mean, this, is, this would not be very considerate to Boaz. It also would be inappropriate just based on his position in town and hers. Third, Ruth needed to watch where Boaz laid down so that she didn't go and lift up the covers of the feet of some other man. Now, that'd be awkward. That'd be bad news, right? Hey, would you marry me? Ooh, right? It's a, it's a Rachel Leah situation all over again. You don't want that. So watch where he lays down, honey. Ruth was a descendant of the eldest Moabite daughter of Lot, but she is the antithesis of that woman, and that's the whole point of this redemptive book. She's a worthy woman, and we'll see that shortly. The game plan set. Ruth's all in. Verse 5, she replied, All that you say... I will do. I just love the faithfulness of, of Ruth. I just absolutely love it. We see Ruth's pursuit of rest in verse 6 through 9. Look at verse 6. This is my second point. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So I ask again, was Boaz inebriated? No, it just doesn't say that. It doesn't say when Boaz had eaten and was good and drunk. It says when he had eaten and had drank, he had a heart that was merry and he went and lied down. He didn't fall down. He went and lied down at the heap, the end of the heap of grain. Well, why is Boaz laying next to a heap of grain? I mean, did, you know, did he pass out and fall into the grain? Is this the best place he could find as he stumbled his way across the threshing floor? Again, no. And I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you why, because it matters. It matters to this story. This is a common practice of the harvesters, particularly the landowners. Because if they're going to lie down anywhere on the threshing floor, it's going to be near the grain that they just spent all day working hard to get to collect, right? This is their livelihood. And so what are they doing when they lie down next to the grain? They're protecting it from the theft. There's people all the time that come and be like, oh yeah, sure, after all this hard work you've done, I'm going to come and just scoop up some grain and, and go home. They were protecting it from animals and birds who were rummaging. So no, he didn't pass out into the heap of grain. He is like a shepherd being the door to the sheep. He is protecting his livelihood. And Boaz is completely surprised. Look at verse 8. At midnight, it's pitch black outside. The man was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So I guess the silhouette was just enough to, to know this is a woman, not a man, but that's about all he can gather at this point. And, and so he said, who are you? This is interesting because the first time he saw Ruth in the fields, he didn't say, hey, who is she? He said, whose young woman is this? And that's when his hired hand said, oh, that's the Moabite woman, the one that came with Naomi, the young widow from Moab. But here... He says, who are you? 
And Ruth responds. She makes herself known and she makes her request known. This is who I am. This is why I'm here at your feet, at the threshing floor, at midnight. She answered him, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I love it. Ruth didn't just say, it's Ruth. He knows her. He would know. And she doesn't say it's Ruth the Moabite. Do you see that? It's hard to find a time where Ruth is referenced in this book that's just a short four-chapter book where Moabite's not inseparably linked to her identity, but she does not call herself a Moabite. Mm -mm. She says it's Ruth, and then she says what role she wants to play in his life. She says, it's Ruth, your servant. That's why I'm at your feet. Spread your wings over your servant, for you're a redeemer. Wings. Wings were referenced in chapter 2. Boaz used this terminology in the field the day that they had met to commend Ruth for taking refuge in the wings of Yahweh. He was commending Ruth for not just following Naomi and being a kind young woman and a good daughter-in-law to Naomi, being faithful to Naomi. No, he was also commending her for taking refuge in the wings of Yahweh. Going to a land that she'd never been, a, a place that was unfamiliar, a place where there was no family but Naomi, a place where there was no suitor. He said, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And now, tonight, Ruth says, I have taken refuge in the wings of Yahweh, and I'm seeking you, Boaz, not to be my God. I'm good there. I'm seeking you to be my godly husband. I'm seeking a protector and a provider, one to share life with. And she goes beyond that. She says, I'm seeking a redeemer. And that means that Ruth is seeking something beyond just security for herself. She's seeking security for her mother-in-law, who also is a widow, with no prospects of remarriage. This is huge. Ruth had made a covenant with Naomi. Ruth had literally said, death won't even separate us. Ruth had said, I will go and be buried where you're buried. She says, nothing will separate us. And she's saying, here in this moment, not even marriage will separate my faithfulness to Naomi. I will continue to care for her and look after her. And that's why I'm seeking you out. Ruth has put everything out there at this point, okay? Her heart is beating violently in her chest. And there's this moment of silence, and we don't know how long. It just doesn't say. But it had to feel like forever. There's this silence between her request and his response. And we wait. And then here it is. And friends, it's a blessing and it's a promise of rest that comes out of Boaz's mouth to this young woman who's desperate for a redeemer. Verse 10, he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men whether poor or rich. There's a lot of blessings in this book. The reapers, the hired hands of Boaz, blessed him in the field when they greeted him when he came in. Chapter 2, verse 4. The Lord blessed you, they said. Boaz said a blessing over Ruth. We just covered it for her kindness towards Naomi, 
her faithfulness to following Yahweh. Naomi blessed Boaz twice in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. And now here, Boaz blesses Ruth. For what? He says that her second kindness, which is the word hesed, which means steadfast love, it means loyalty, her second act of loyalty exceeded her first. What is he talking about? Well, what was her first act of loyalty? It was following Naomi to Bethlehem. Her second deed of loyalty is to approach Boaz, not just for marriage for herself, but as a redeemer who could provide security for Naomi. And here's the promise after the blessing, verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Second time that word's used in this letter. Again, it was used at first to describe Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1. It's actually used in Proverbs 31 to describe an excellent woman, an excellent wife. Word about Ruth and her faithfulness to Naomi to Naomi and to her faith in Yahweh had spread. At first it was through Naomi, but then people are chatting in Bethlehem. And people are also watching her life and her faithfulness early morning, late in the evening, harvesting, gleaning, bringing it back, putting it on the table, feeding her mother-in-law and herself, all done by God's grace through Boaz. She's a worthy woman. But friends, there's a, po- there's a problem here. It's a pretty significant problem. Look at verse 12. Boaz says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Uh Uh-oh. Now it's weird because when you back up and you think about this, what stands in the way of Ruth and Naomi being redeemed? A redeemer. So it could be worse, right? At least there's another redeemer in front of him, and you know, that's positive. Not all hope is lost at this point, but man, it'd be nice if it was Boaz, right? The other redeemer ahead of Boaz is probably, and many scholars believe this, that he's probably the reason why Boaz did not pursue Ruth sooner, along with the fact that she may have been wearing those widow's garments in the field. But we see the solution to the problem. You know, you got to love a guy who presents a problem but says, listen, I think i got a solution. Okay? you got to respect that. And here's Boaz, verse 13. He said, Here, here's the solution. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will not redeem you, doesn't even give this guy's name. He doesn't even get an honorable mention. If this dude will not redeem you, then good, Or if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, whatever his name is, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz is inviting Ruth to trust him here. He assures her that if this other redeemer looks at her and says, no, no, I don't want to marry the the widow from Moab. No, thanks. Remember the tensions, Israelites and Moabites, that it's not a pretty history there? Uh, No, thanks. Uh, If that's the case, he's saying, I will, and he puts a stamp on it by swearing, by invoking the name of Yahweh, the covenant name of God, saying, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you if he doesn't. And guess what? The Lord never dies. The Lord lives. And now we wait. And we see Will he? I mean, it's a great, I mean, it's a great speech. It's, I'm pumped up, ready to go to battle after that, right? But we'll see, dot, dot, dot. Some of you are already turning to chapter four. You're like, oh, Lord, I hope so. Please, Redeemer. 
We see the patience for rest in verse 14 through 18. Look at verse 14. This is my fourth and final point. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now I want you to notice something. Nothing inappropriate took place that night. It says that she lay at his feet until the morning. They, they didn't lie side by side on the threshing floor. She lay at his feet. They didn't share a blanket. She had a cloak. The cloak served people back then as a blanket as well as, as clothing. It's like wearing a, a Snuggie or whatever in today's terms around. We see that in Walmart every now and then. This is an anxious night. I mean, I have to imagine it is, at least. I mean, for Ruth and Boaz, if you think about it, like Ruth, she's hoping, she's praying, she's wishing, oh, Lord, let it be Boaz. Let him fulfill his promise. And then you got Boaz, and his eyes got to be open all night going, Lord, please don't let someone see this and think that something wrong is happening right now. He has a good reputation. He's considered a worthy man. She has a good reputation. She's considered a worthy woman. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. It's hard to attain. It's easy to lose. So he's up all night, I would imagine. We don't know for sure. It's interesting that Boaz says this. He says, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Who are you talking to, Boaz? We don't know. It could have been Ruth. Be kind of weird to talk to her in the third person. Might be a hired laborer that's also there protecting the grain. Who maybe saw Ruth. Maybe, maybe he identified her. Maybe he didn't. There's a woman there, though, at his feet. That's weird. And so Boaz is maybe urging her and this person or persons to use discretion. Nothing weird happened. This was a proposal. I'm going to take care of it in the morning. But before Boaz sends Ruth away, I want you to see what he does. He gives her a sign of goodwill that he absolutely intends to follow through with his promise. Look at verse 15 through 17. And he said, Bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, and, he, and here, listen to this, She's revealing something that he said that hadn't been revealed up until this point. Here's the barley, and he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So not only is Ruth mindful of Naomi in this proposal, seeking not only her rest and her security, but Naomi's, but Boaz is mindful of Naomi. Boaz says, go back to that woman, the woman who returned from Moab to Bethlehem, the woman who left full and came back empty, and tell your mother-in-law that here's grain. Be filled and here's a promise. I will bring you rest. Praise God. It's incredible. I will redeem Ruth. I will redeem you. It's going to be done. But you got to wait. When Naomi says, how did you fare, my daughter? It's literally translated as, who are you, my daughter? It's a weird thing to ask, right? You okay, Naomi? Who am I? I'm, I'm Ruth, right? I know I look prettier, right? <laughs> Usual, I've got my cloak and I've got the, but, you know, it's me. But what she literally means is, who are you now? <laughs> How did it go? Has your identity changed? Are you a fiancé? 
Are you going to be Mrs. Boaz? What's the deal? Who are you? Ruth's response. These six measures of barley he gave to me. He said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. It's encouraging to Naomi because she's seen this daughter-in-law who has been so faithful to her who has literally surrendered her life at a youthful age to care for her. And she sees that there's some momentum here and she might be getting married soon. And the cherry on top is he understands that I need help too. God is a redeemer. Naomi, she hears the story, she sees the grain, she believes the promise that Boaz will follow through. Look at verse 18. She replies to Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She's absolutely confident that Boaz will follow through. And she's encouraging Ruth to trust his word. Redemption is on the horizon. Waiting is not easy. You might be here this morning, you might be in a very difficult trial or tribulation, and you are praying, and you are on your knees, and you are begging God to redeem what has been broken, what has been lost, Sometimes the trials, sometimes the deepest pains in our our life are a means by which God draws us to himself and reminds us that even when we cannot see redemption, he is a sovereign redeemer. And even if we don't experience the redemption that we would like in this lifetime, there is hope for the future for all who put their trust in Christ. Not a Redeemer, but the Redeemer. Hope for eternal life. Wait eagerly for that redemption as you navigate the sufferings in this world. How does chapter 3 of Ruth relate to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I hope it's been clear enough at this point. But let me just walk through this with you. God graciously planned a rest for humanity before the fall, before creation. God graciously pursued humanity in Jesus Christ, in flesh and blood, to bring us rest, rest for our souls. We read it before the service began. God has graciously promised rest for all sinners who take refuge in Christ the Redeemer through repentance of their sin and faith in Him alone. And God is encouraging you today to wait patiently with His promise for the consummation of your redemption when Christ comes again, whether it's 10 minutes from now or 10,000 years from now. It is coming. As the Lord lives, it is coming. I want to quote St. Augustine one more time before we close in prayer. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There is not a redeemer in line in front of Jesus Christ. He is the one and only. Some of you this morning, you're exhausted. In Christ's words that we read in Matthew 11, his promise of rest in himself is true for you today. You're exhausted, and he says it is finished. The work is done. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Some of you are riddled with anxieties this morning, insecurities, and you've been trying to find safe refuge and a sense of security in all kinds of things. 
accumulating wealth, another person. Christ offers you ultimate peace with a holy God by the blood of his cross. Some of you are lonely today. Christ offers you himself. Some of you are downcast and discouraged this morning. Christ offers you hope of eternal life. Some of you are riddled with shame because of your sinful past. Christ offers you forgiveness of your sin and redemption. He is prepaid for these things. And he simply invites you to come to him for rest. Let's pray. Father, quite simply, we ask that you would help us to find rest for our souls in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. We need you to give us rest. We cannot attain the peace and the security that our souls know we need. Our souls know, we innately know, every one of us, every human being knows that we have sinned against you. We are born in this world in need of salvation. And you have come and you have accomplished salvation. We were in need of redemption and you have come and by your cross and by your resurrection, you have accomplished redemption. Help our souls rest in that reality today and help us to live out of that rest with great joy and great peace eagerly awaiting the consummation of our redemption, eagerly awaiting to see you, our groom, come back for us, your church, your bride, as you restore all things. Amen.